God, we love you, and we thank you for uh, today just a chance just to come together and gather in your name, a chance to come together just as we are. Lord, whether we are skeptics or seekers, Lord, uh, just people that have, uh, you know, the, those who have surrendered their life to Christ and, and are walking with you, God, I pray that wherever we are, Lord, that right now in the posture of our hearts, we would just be humbled, surrender our, our understanding, our wills to yours. And um, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that this morning, that these words and the words that I speak, Lord, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would take them and, Lord, set them aflame in our hearts, Lord, that it would transform us. Lord, I pray that we would not come in here once again and, and just hear words and sing songs, but that it would be truly transforming, it would be unifying of your church, Lord, that we could live sent lives holding out the light of Christ, Lord, walking alongside one another, one another, building each other up to the ministry of the gospel in this world. Lord, we, um, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, let us uh, remember well all that you are and all the ways that you are, and Lord, that you are never changing. So we give you this time. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hey, Neil, will you put the bridge to that last song back up? Man, as I was singing that, I was just, uh, I mean, it, it's p powerful words. And I just kind of want us to take a moment just in each of our hearts. And again, I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you. Um, and I don't know all of you well. And so I don't know kind of where you're at today, kind of especially with kind of your, your faith and your confession of who Jesus is and what this is all about. But I want to invite all of us to kind of uh, the you are... The, the, his name is greater, all that's, yes, there, your name is higher, your name is greater. So these two slides, I just want us to take a moment just to pray these truths, to find ourselves being humbled as we are confronted with an, an amazing, sovereign, holy God who, who in his sovereign care called us to surrender and confession and restored us in Christ. And so I just want us to take a moment just to, to pray these words. As I read them out loud, if you want to say them out loud with me, feel free. If you want to pray them silently. But I want to invite you just to prayerfully confess these words, praying that the Lord would just, just adjust the posture of our hearts. I was really challenged this week. Um, we're going through a biblical eldership study, and, um, and it just... It really, the, some of the stuff we were being led through, it just, it's like, are we really, do I really view my life as walking with the Lord, that my life is His, that His truth is worth surrendering to and worth pursuing with my whole heart and life? And, and I was faced with those questions once again, and it's amazing how we can kind of drift. So I just, as I read this, I was like, yes, this is, this, this puts me in that place where I remember why why we come to the Word and, and, and what my hope is. So I'm going to read this out loud. If you want to read it with me, feel free to pray it silently. So, your name is higher. Your name is greater. All my hope is in you. Your word unfailing. Your promise unshaken. All my hope is in you. So God, I just pray those confessions would be real. Lord, even if we see those words, even maybe spoke those words, and it just didn't quite connect, didn't mean anything, I pray that in your sovereign care, you would penetrate our hearts, our minds, our lives, our desires. 
So Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in him, the life we have in him, and Lord, that your name is great and you have invited us to proclaim that in this world. So be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, already rich this morning. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. And, and Keith, love, love the analogy. Uh, I think it's a great reminder for all of us to, to live with the hospitality of the gospel, the intentional way of life that invites people in and seeks people out. Um, what a beautiful picture. So just great truth already this morning, great proclamations. Um, I want to ask you a quick, quick, just I think this is called a, I don't know, straw poll, survey. If you could choose between two ways of life, and one led to chaos and death, and the other led to peace and life, which one would you choose? Peace and, uh, chaos and death? Peace and life. A few of you don't know yet, you're on the fence. You guys, non-participators, that's great. So hopefully you'll figure it out by the end of the sermon. I'm going to say most of us would choose peace in life, if not all of us. Today, as we come to James, he tells us, he shows us that there are indeed two ways of life. And one definitively leads to chaos and death, and one leads to peace in life. So that's where we're at. So go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. We're just going to look at 13 through 18 today. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you have an app, you can, you can if you use the Bible app, we have a, an event there you can go to. And the, uh, go to the More tab, look for events. We should pop up. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible underneath you. And if you need a Bible, please take that with you. That would be our gift to you. We'll also have stuff up on the screen. So guys, you're covered as far as the word goes today, okay? Hopefully, we'll teach it well. Even if I don't, pray that the Holy Spirit does for us. So while, while you're turning there, you know, as we've been working through James for a few weeks now, almost two months, we've seen over and over again just this contrast of two ways of life. And, and, and really, that's because we're talking about um, in, in, our, in our sin and in our rebellion against God, we became divided. Right they're, they're, we are divided, we're, we're fractured, and so James has been. I've been hitting this every week. James is calling us and inviting us first, inviting us into an undivided life in Christ as we are restored, reconciled, but then also calling us to pursue living out that undivided reality. And he's showing us in very practical ways how to do that. And so it's it's it struck me more and more each week how loving James is. And I say that because if you read through this book, his style doesn't strike you as like very shepherding and caring because he's just like hitting you in the face over and over again. And, it's, and sometimes it feels harsh, it feels dry, it, it feels impersonal. But I think it's just because James gets it. He understands what's at stake. You have to remember James is the half-brother of Jesus who didn't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, until late in his life, until after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. So you've got to think there's all these years of time spent observing Jesus, denying who Jesus is, and then being, man, having his life wrecked in the most wonderful way. Right? So, so he gets it. He, he's tasted both sides, and it's still fresh. So I just think he gets it, and he just has this sense of urgency that he can't, he can't, he's not going to dilly-dally. He's not going to be distracted by niceties. And I, he's just, 
in a very loving, direct way, just he's like, I want you to get this. I want to invite you into it, and I want you to get it because this is where it's at. This is freedom. This is peace. This is your purpose. All the things that you desire and that you strive for, this is where it's satisfied. And I've just seen over and over more and more James is driven by love and compassion. So with that in mind, let's continue to study this pastoral letter written by the half-brother of Jesus who's pastoring a church of scattered, oppressed, and downtrodden people. So with that, let's read our full text today. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, James, starting in verse 13, he just starts with this zinger, right? I mean, he said, he said hey, who, I mean, do you remember what we talked through last week? We talked about the wise and, and, and the handling of wisdom and, the, and the, the responsibility and the privilege of that. And he's like, so then he's transitioning more towards the general um, understanding of the full body of Christ. And he's like, hey, who is wise and, and understanding among you? And he, so he lays out this kind of this softball-seeming question that people are going to be like, you know, I think I'm pretty wise. And he's like, well, well, then if you say you're wise, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he's like, what he's saying is like, hey, if you say you're wise, show me you're wise. Show me. And again, this sounds a lot like his faith and works, right? You say you have faith. I want, to, I want you to show me your faith. Again, you're not saved by your works, but yet your works justify the reality of your faith. You're not justified by works, but your works justify the reality of you, that you have a true faith in Christ, a true belief. So this sounds a lot like that. So he's saying, you say you're wise, show me you're wise. You can't claim to be wise and be wise just because you said you could be wise, just because you said you're wise, right? I can't be a car just because I say I'm a car. I'm a person, right? So he's saying you can't be wise just because you say you're wise, you know, especially if you're living like someone who's ignorant or a moron, right? Like that's like the, you can't be wise if you're living like a moron. There's your truth for today, okay? So if you need a litmus to hold your life up against, look in the mirror. Am I a moron? Yes, okay, I'm not wise, okay? There you go. I'm, I'm a moron. So um, he's also implying that, there's, that there are some that think they are wise, but indeed are really not wise, just by the fact that he's drawing this reality out. What, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Some simple definitions I've appreciated over time. Wisdom is right knowledge, rightly applied. Another one I've really appreciated, wisdom is practical living directed by the Word of God. And right wisdom, we have to acknowledge, only comes from God, which is where we're driving at today. So because of this need to address and what he is seeing, he's seeing a people that are divided. He's seeing people that are claiming wisdom because maybe they positionally they are the people of Israel, the people of promise, maybe because they know more, maybe because they're better at keeping the commandments. And they're saying, well, that's why you say you're wise. Well, I want you to show me with your meekness of wisdom. I want you to show me with your way of life that actually proves true wisdom. 
And so then as we move through the rest of this today, this is what we're seeing, a contrast between false wisdom and true wisdom. This is what James leads us to. So because of that, James now works to help us discern whether or not we are wise by giving us a picture of that false wisdom or godly wisdom, true wisdom. James starts by showing us the motivation, origin, and the results of false wisdom. So first, let's look at the motivation of false wisdom. Verse 14 says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Because again, remember what we've been talking about. This is all about living undivided, the fact that you have been restored in Christ, you've been made new, the earthly passions have been replaced with the heart and desire of God. So he's saying, hey, remember, you've been changed, you've been, you've been claimed, and if you're saying you are wise, but yet in you we see bitter jealousy and selfless ambition as the dominant characteristic of who you are, don't boast in having truth, because that's false. It's not true in you. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. What are the motivation there? Where do those aim? Maybe it's better to say, who is the motivation there? The motive of false wisdom is yourself. It is aimed at yourself. So the first step of moving away from chaos and death is to realize this. And I'm going to speak it in the first person. It's not about me. You want to move away from chaos and death in your life, realize it's not about you. This life that God has given you is not about you. So who's it about? And it is a who. It's all about God and his purpose. It's all about his glory. The sooner we can wrap our hearts and minds around that there is no greater cause in this life than to be about God and what He's about, the sooner we will know peace and freedom. So I want to illustrate this for a few verses so you know that I'm not making this up. We, we understand Scripture was given by God. This is authoritative word. It also speaks His entire character and who He is and His purpose and desire. So just to kind of lay out some framework here, here we go. So first off, how we can say that this life is all about God and our peace, our freedom, our life is actually reveling in the reality that it is about Him, not us. Because that's not what we want. That's not what our world says, right? Our world says it is all about you. You get yours. Do what's best for you if it makes you happy as long as you're good, as long as you're at peace, as long as your emotions are right. It's good. This is what we are told. This is what, we sh- this is what our flesh leads us to. But God is saying, no, 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 it's not about you. So let me show you. So first off, just by the mere fact that he created us. He created us. He has the right to claim us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created us, so he has claim to us. So therefore, we belong to God, and not only do we belong to him, but in us being created by him, we are created for his purpose. What is his purpose? His glory. Psalm 139, 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. What was that price? 
Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, His atoning for your need. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for... Oh, I jumped. Did I jump? I did. So whether you eat or... Where am I? There we go. I have like I have a bunch of verses. This is exciting times. I got going. So for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You're not your own. Glorify... I mean, I jumped like three verses down. You're not your own, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So he created us, therefore he has claim to us, and in creating us, he created us with intent, with his hands, breathing his own life into us, so we were created for his purpose, <coughs> excuse me, which is for his glory. And hear this, our well-being, our well-being is in God being glorified. You're like, What? Does that sound needy? Like, I don't, I don't have the quote in front of me, but C.S. Lewis talks about, he, he, was, he was agnostic. He was, he was very, he was an intellectual against God. <clears throat> and he said before he came to know Christ, he looked at God as just like a needy old grandma who just needed to be acknowledged and thanked for all the ways that he cared for his people. And he was just, it was all about him, and that's how he saw it. And it was in understanding God in all of his glory and, and actually the privilege and the benefit from praising him um, after he acknowledged to Christ, after he surrendered his life to Christ, excuse me. <coughs> but we see that contrast in him, and so we see this here. Our well-being is in God being glorified. Psalm 23, 1 through 3, a pretty familiar passage for most of us, says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That sounds like what we want, right? A lot about me. Me. It's like he's really concerned with me. That's right. That's the God I want. That's the God I like. The God that's concerned with me and wants to make sure that I'm happy. He wants to make sure that I'm at peace. He wants to make sure that I am well, you know, well taken care of. For some reason, I almost said groomed. That's not the word I wanted. Well groomed, um, but but he wants that. That's the God that we are drawn. That's what we think we want. But we see here, what is the last? What's the last four words there? For His name's sake. So we see that even in God's motivation for His name to be lifted high, for His glory to be made known, actually comes His care for us. Does that does that shift anything in you? Does that bring peace? Does that convict? Does that call you to reflect on maybe some of your motivations and, and what you think is important? Our well-being is in God being glorified. Even our salvation is for His glory. Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, talking about Jesus now, who through, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One more thought, there's comfort in knowing he doesn't need us, but that we need him. 
Would you want a God that was limited enough to need someone else or something else? Anybody ever spent time in the book of Job? He's this dude, had it all, and went through a lot and lost it all. Lost everything. I mean, lost his kids, all of them. Lost all he had. Lost his health. And his wife's like, hey, Job, hey, man, no judgment here. Just, just pray that God would kill you. Like, that's how bad it was. And Job prayed that. Lord, just end it for me. Like, this is, this is rough. He's gone through it. He's complained to God about it. He's hoped to just die. He's like, better, it, better be for, it would have been better for me had been not to have been born than to have gone through this. But then God lovingly rebukes Job. <clears throat> Here's a couple of highlights after this full exchange. Job 39, 8 through 10, it says, Will you, this is God talking to Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Well, then adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Then looking at 41.11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And so God's just calling Job, Hey, remember who I am. Remember, I am God. I created you. This, this world is for my glory, and your purpose is in that. What do you think Job's response was? What would your response be? Job's response in being confronted with the reality of who God is in a loving rebuke was what? It was worship. He, re he responded with humble repentance and worship. We see it in Job 42, 2 through 6. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is Job talking to God. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's worship. He is, he is acknowledging God is good. He's like, oh, th this is a comfort to me. The fact that I don't have to know it all, that I can trust you. As soon as you realize that it's not, not all about you, you are free. Imagine the freedom of that when you are not so consumed with, with how you are. If you are getting what you deserve. <clears throat> how much time and energy do we spend focused on ourselves? How much of our frustration and angst stems from from the feeling that we are wronged, not getting what you need. How many of you get really frustrated when someone cuts you off on the street? Driving, driving down 610, or these, these crazy merging, someone cuts you off and all of a sudden they're your worst enemy. Like, yeah, they're, they're an idiot driver and they made a mistake, but it wasn't about you. They didn't do it to you. They don't know you. They just too aggressive or too ignorant or just not very observant. Who knows? I mean, or it's just Houston roads and it's hard to get over sometimes. But again, like, that's just such a little thing that we can see. Like, does that send you off the rails? Like, that would say, this life is about me. That person wronged me. But all of a sudden, when you realize in the grand scheme of eternity and your role and your opportunity and your place in this life, when it's not about you, there's freedom. 
when it's not about just what you can achieve, just what you can attain, just what you can enact as influence, what, what name of legacy you can leave for yourself in this world, when all of a sudden your purpose in this life goes beyond that, how liberating. I remember my dad, when, when, when this hit him, gosh, it's been almost nine, nine or ten years ago. My dad's a crazy, crazy man, and I love him. And he was like, son, I had an epiphany. And I was like, what is it, Dad? He goes, I'm bulletproof. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, well, break that down for me, Dad. Because he is crazy enough. And I mean crazy, like just he is just always moving in a thousand different directions. Like there's a possibility maybe in some way he thought so. But what he was saying was like, my, I'm not bound to this world. Like he had this all of a sudden this revelation. He grew up a pastor's kid. And all of a sudden, he just had this revelation that it's not about just this life. It's not just about what the legacy he's leaving to his kids or the, the impact he's making. He has a heart for, for, for alcohol addiction. You know, how many people he liberates from addiction. Like, that's great, too. But it's about something even far greater. He's like, I'm bulletproof. Like, he got it that day. It was a fun moment. I was like, yeah, that's right. So it's, it's really, but how free are we when we realize it's not about us? How, how liberating when you realize that our life is for God's glory and that His glory comes through His purpose and that His purpose is what is best for us and also what is most enjoyable. That's why you hear us say a lot, for God's glory and our good. I mean, truly, for God's glory is paramount. For our good is a byproduct, not a motivation. But man, what a comfort and what a show of God's love and grace that in His ultimate purpose of bringing glory to Himself, we actually find that peace in life and purpose. What a, what a beautiful invitation. So we think about the motives, and as we look and we say, is there selfish ambition? Is there bitter jealousy? We can say, if that is the case, man, bring that before the Lord, surrender it, and say, God, root this out in me. Root this out of me and bring me to a place where it's all about you, your glory, your name, your purpose in my life. And that naturally leads us to this next thing, the origins of false wisdom. And this picks up steam as we go here. <clears throat> so verse 15 says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but, if, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Man, whew, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. We don't want those to be the descriptors of our life, especially as we go down the, the progression. Because we could start with earth and we're like, oh, that's not that bad. Because you think about earthly, like what is that saying for the origins of false wisdom to be earthly? What is that? Quite just logically is saying it is defined by the limits of this world. So when we elevate science and knowledge that is based in this world above the reality of a supernatural almighty God, then all of a sudden we are stepping into the realm of false wisdom. When we try to define things in, in a way that, it, that denies the reality that there is an eternity, denies the reality that there's eternal hope and an eternal God who created us as eternal beings, we're stepping into the realm of false wisdom that brings chaos and death. Because why? Because all of a sudden you're inviting yourself into right here to where it, it, it all only, there's only meaning right here. In you, there's only meaning in what happens around you. And all of a sudden, the earth gets to tell you what the people, the culture, the world gets to tell you what is true and what is right. And if you haven't noticed, nobody agrees. Nobody. As far as man's knowledge and wisdom goes, as far as the earth is concerned, man, 
But when we come to the Word and we come to the, to the character of God that is unchanging and His heart that is unrelenting, we see the contrast. But earthly, it only acknowledges the temporal. The ultimate goal is the temporal. It's instant peace, instant gratification. And you, we'll get to this in a minute, but this ends with a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who work for peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but when earthly wisdom, that is all you pursue, is just to avoid all conflict. So then you're, you're, you're managing your life by, by, by just putting in safeguards everywhere and isolating and, and avoiding. That is not the heart of God. That's not the picture we see in Jesus, right? He stepped into the, he stepped into the discomfort. He stepped out of his, uh, he stepped out of heaven, right? came into our need, into our mess. So again, this is the picture we see that it's not just the temporal, it's the ultimate goal, it's not the now. We have to see that if it's earthly wisdom, it denies the reality of the eternal God, eternal promise. <clears throat> and then we see unspiritual. Similarly, we have to see, especially for those who are in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit who is to lead you in all truths given by God and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so false wisdom is marked by being unspiritual. Again, it's def you define or the world defines. It denies the reality that God has given tr truth and knowledge. You are meant to live in a supernatural relationship with God made possible in Christ. So, to deny the unspiritual is to pursue false wisdom. And then it says demonic. Tough word, right? We don't, we don't really like those words. Demonic, Satan, demons. But it's real. He's real. Demons are real. What is their primary tool? What is their primary work? They're liars. They deceive. Especially for those who are in Christ. That is all they have is deception. And so when you're pursuing a false wisdom based on demonic understanding, and you are believing the lies, you are not coming to the truth of God. You are being thrust to and fro like the waves of the culture and the earth, Right? And so, what he is calling us to and reminding us of that he has given a truth, and we're going to come to that in just a second. But earlier we talked about wisdom, being right knowledge, rightly applied. Now we can think of some contrast. Wrong knowledge is never going to lead you to the right place. So again, he's calling us first off to the knowledge, the truth of God, the knowledge that God gives, the knowledge of himself, and then out of that, the understanding of the world and the way that he's created. So wrong knowledge will never result in life. But then we have right knowledge, wrongly applied. What is that? That's idolatry. That's rebellion. Because you've been given, you've been shown the truth, but to deny it. And again, it's not always active. It's not always willful. You think about what Job just said. He said, before I saw, I heard with my ears, but now my eyes have been opened. He wasn't willfully trying to rebel. He just was growing in his understanding, but yet it was still a, a wrong understanding and it was a wrong application of right knowledge. He brought it to God, but then he didn't fully understand God. And so, yes, this is a rebuke, but it's also an invitation. If you have a known idol, surrender. If you are rebelling at God, be humbled and come back to him. But also, you're human and there's grace. And so continue on the journey. And if today he reveals to you a place where you have been in error, Say, thank you, God, I repent. I heard with my ears, but I didn't see with my eyes, but now I do. Praise you for that, because I'm better for it. There's an invitation there. 
So don't be deceived. Don't pursue lies. Verse 16 tells us that all of this only leads to chaos and death. Our affections determine what we pursue. Affections speak of love. So to pursue false wisdom is to love death. A little bit of a deductionist theory here, but that's what it is. To pursue this kind of wisdom is to love death, is to, to place our affection in the things that are only going to bring us destruction. We all want peace and life. Who's not driven by that? Think about your days. Think about what you, what you, what you invest your time and resources in. Some form of peace, some form of life. True wisdom is the way. So let us see the glorious picture contrasted of true wisdom against false wisdom. This true wisdom that is from God. So first we see the origin is from God in the beginning of verse 17. What does it say? <coughs> Excuse me. It says, but the wisdom from above is, so the wisdom from above. Now that should remind you of something back from earlier in James. He said, um, all, you know, every good and perfect gift is from above, the father of lights. So to say that it's from above is to say that it is from God himself. His word, which is his truth, was given to us through the law, the prophets, the poets, and the apostles. And it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then it was illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit as he is given to us in Christ. So that's the origin. We have to see that, that true wisdom only comes from God and to pursue it anywhere else is to pursue false wisdom. And then we see the motives of true wisdom, of God's wisdom. We see first that it's pure, and then we see that it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So the wisdom that is from God further reinforces that our personal freedom is not just about us. Look at the trajectory of these characteristics of true wisdom. They're relational. They're communal. First, we speak of the quality that they're pure, but then we see it's peaceable. It shows us how to live in unity amongst a world of, of fallen people. It doesn't mean everyone agrees. It's not the absence of conflict, but we pursue peace and unity. We're gentle. It's open to reason. It's not just this domineering voice that doesn't listen, but it actually enters into loving conversations so that in finding the point of conflict, we can actually lovingly, in time and patience, be the light of truth. Proclaim it full of mercy, good fruits. We just read a minute ago, and just earlier in James, a minute ago, and we're speaking only in Sundays, um, but just, you know, not too long, just a, just a few messages ago, that mercy wins over judgment. Yes, there is a need for judgment, but mercy wins over judgment every time. And so he's saying, hey, let's, let's extend mercy first. Let's, go, again, step into the need. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's full of good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. When we call on Jesus, we're gifted, we're grafted into his promise. And we're called into his purpose. In Christ, we're, we're grafted into his promise and called to his purpose. Jesus came for the glory of God, as we already saw, and the good of those in need. This is our freest life the glory of God and the good of others. We're, we aren't full of mercy so that we can give it to ourselves when we look in the mirror. 
We don't bear good fruit so we can feast on them ourselves. My neighbor has this tree, and it's, it's a dead tree, and it's bizarre, and there's, there's, no, there's no leaves on it, but there's just dead, decayed fruit hanging from the tree. How does that happen? You can't get dead fruit from a tree without having a sick tree. And he said, my neighbor said, basically all this tree is good for is scaring away criminals because it just looks terrifying. I was like, I agree, it's terrifying. It didn't work. Uh, anyway, but uh, they, that's funny. The irony of the, the day he made that statement, the night, that night his car got broken into. Literally. That really happened, so it didn't work. But, but we don't bear good fruit just to feast on it ourselves. If it stays on our branches, it is going to decay, and it's going to be a sign that we are not well. We are not sick. We are not living out our purpose. So bearing good fruit, again, is outward. It's relational. So James promises a harvest of righteousness. So we've seen the origins from God. The motive is for God's glory and for the world around us. It's not about us. And we see the result. James promises a harvest of righteousness, which is, which is sown in peace for those who make peace. So this is a relational call to action in true wisdom. We must be pursuing the person of God. He's given his word for that. He's given the Holy Spirit so that we can have a, a relationship with him of actually relating. He's given us the body of Christ to do this together. To know true wisdom is to know God. To know God is to love and fear him. So we just said this a minute ago. What is peace? Cheap peace is lacking of conflict. True peace is is where things are restored. The concept of peace we see here from James is the one that comes from a rich Jewish tradition of shalom. If you've ever heard that word shalom, it's the speaking of peace. But not just peace be with you, it is the proclamation that all that was wrong has been made right. All that was fractured has been restored. So to say shalom is to say it is all right once again. It is all whole once again. So this harvest of righteousness is a very personal work. We are given positional righteousness as we are made innocent in Christ and deemed, deemed to be redeemed in Him. But then we have progressive righteousness where we are being made more like Christ through the willful and obedient work of following Him in this life. And in this, we live out gospel mission. We live lives that are humble and, and surrender to the truth of God. And therefore, we, we, we exhibit the very character of God, which then draws men to Himself. We participate in this together, <clears throat> and we see a lost and fractured world made righteous as well. And we see this harvest of people coming to Christ, invited into the work of restoring peace in the work of Christ. So this is the picture here. To pursue false wisdom and to live in false wisdom is to have affection, literally, for, for chaos and death. And, and then to pursue true wisdom that comes from God, given in Christ, is to pursue peace in life. It's personal, and it is for all of creation. So let us receive, let us step into the invitation, and let us act on our purpose. Let me pray. So God, let us be in awe of your love. 
let our, affection, our affections go beyond ourselves. Let our affections go beyond the mere temporal. Let our affections go beyond the things that bring us instant peace. Although we want to work for justice, we want to work for peace today, we want to, we want to rest in the eternal promise. So God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the wisdom that you give. Lord, and as James said earlier, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And so, Lord, we ask. We need to know you, God, to the point that we fear you. And in our fear of you, let us love you. And let us live out, Lord, this, this humble, courageous, purposeful life. Lord, knowing peace today, extending peace, seeing a harvest of righteousness in our lives and the lives around us. Our life is not our own. We were created by you. We were created for you. Be glorified in us, God. So, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.